Good morning and welcome to The Battles Within. We are um, excited to be here today. We got lots of stuff to get covered, so we're going to go ahead and, and jump in here and get started. We would uh, like to remind you that we have been working through the battles, with, I mean, in The Battles Within, we've been working through the uh, Who is Jesus. This is section number 31. 31, that's over half a year and we're still going strong. So we appreciate your being involved. And um, we are, um, today we are going to be uh, covering uh, uh, Jesus, some miracles that Jesus performed. Now, you remember last session that we went through and talked about the four disciples that Jesus had gone back to several times. You know, Peter, J Peter John, and Andrew for sure had been uh, invited to follow him three different times. And this seemed to be the charm because it finally said they left all. And as far as we can read, there was not any more uh, appointments for them, that they, they, they followed him. Uh, so this week, when that was done, we're going to go right into where we came from. Uh, in Mark chapter 1, verse 35 to 30. Before we get started, let's start off with a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity. We can come to you and pray. We thank you, Lord, for uh, all the opportunities we have that we can study your word. We pray, Lord, now that you'd help the, uh, the feeble words of your messenger be something that people can hear and understand and then go forth and share with others. For it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you get your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 1, we're going to stay mostly in Mark and Luke today. So at Mark chapter 1. These, by the way, some of these events are, are recorded by Mark originally, and then Luke did some more investigative reporting as he did, and there are some few more details in Luke, but Luke and Mark are pretty parallel if you look at them. There's very few, doubt there's any discrepancies. It may be some additional things that you learn from one or the other, but anyway, Mark chapter 1, verse 35 to 39. And in the morning... Rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth, and he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and cast out devils. So now we're going to break that down. He says, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solace place and there prayed. See, Jesus made a habit of praying every day. Uh, he did this as an example for us, but remember, he had restricted himself to the human conditions. And therefore, the way man communes with God was through prayer. So the way Jesus chose to commune to God the Father was through prayer. Now, Notice that he did this first thing every morning. You'll see several times he got up early in the morning and went out and prayed. He did not start his day without prayer to God. Some people have their prayer, their major prayer in the morning time. Start the day. I have a tendency to do my major prayer in the evening times when I'm settled down. I know what I know what has come up in the past, and then I pray for my next day. Because sometimes in the morning we get hectic and get busy to do things, but in the evening I can take as much time as I need. So that's my time. But... Uh, either way, Jesus did this in private. It's not something that he went out and bragged about. There's so many times we have people who want to brag about their prayer life or their fasting life or whatever. That's something between you and God. Let's continue on. And Simon 
and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. Remember, Simon and they that were with him followed after him. Remember, Simon and James and John had followed him. They became, they left all their nets and followed him. But it appears, that, and, and interesting enough, now it appears the first time you can see that Peter has now standing out as a leader of the group. Because it says, and Simon, and they that with him. So that means that Peter had already stood up as one of the leaders of the disciples. So now when the disciples got up after a long night of dealing with many who came, remember they came out of the synagogue, many got healed, and they, they stay until the evening time as late as they could to try to get everybody healed, everybody message to, to come and hear the word of God preached by his son, Jesus Christ. I mean, wouldn't that be a message to hear, the message of Jesus Christ preaching the word? Would that not be a powerful message? I think so. He said, after looking for him for some time, they find him alone in prayer. So they tell the crowd, they tell Jesus that the crowd is gathering again and they're looking for him to do more miracles here and to listen to his words. So then we see a continuing on our scripture. And he said unto them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. See, Jesus could have spent his entire ministry right there in Capernaum. Or in the, yeah, where, where he was at, the whole, I mean, the, the, they keep coming to him, keep coming to him, keep coming to him. But remember, this was something that, so we know the decision Jesus made, he made the decision that he was going to leave the town after his time of communing with the Father. See, Jesus did not make his decisions on his own. He prayed to the Father, and the Father communed with him, and that's how he knew what to do. Uh, Jesus sought the Father's will. Remember, he said, hold on, God knows, Jesus knows everything. Jesus temporarily set aside certain attributes. And he relied upon the Father. Jesus wanted to be like a man. Because he was a man, right? He was 100% man, 100% God. I can't explain that. But that's what he was. And therefore, he lived this life here on the earth. The miracles he performed, he performed those miracles through the Holy Spirit, not through his own power. Because Jesus certainly had power. He's the creator of the world. Jesus clearly had power, but he chose to use the power of the Holy Spirit to exercise the saving power, the miracle power, the healing power, the cleansing power, the redemptive power. The power from the Word came through the Holy Spirit. Jesus used himself as a man because he demonstrated to each of us that we can do the same thing. He wanted to show man that how man can live their life. He wanted to be an example. That's why he went out and prayed to the Father. Jesus is the one. Jesus and the Father and the Son are one. What do you have to pray for? Because he's a man, and as a man, he restricted himself to commune with God the same way. So here, before he went out and made the decisions that he knew the right decision to make, he prayed to the Father, just like men should, just like you should. Before we make decisions in life, we need to seek God's will. That's what Jesus did. So he said, he said, let us go to the next towns. So Jesus sought his will. Jesus' mission was to preach and to heal throughout the regions and to demonstrate that he was the Messiah. He wasn't just to do it in one town. He was supposed to go throughout the entire region so that more people have the opportunity to hear and to get saved and to be healed. And we see in the last part, it says, and he preached in their synagogues throughout all of Galilee and cast out devils. Now, so Jesus went into a town and he preached in the synagogue. That was his modus operandi, right? And he says, and he, he cast out devils. There's lots and lots of people who are demon-possessed. Now, you say, see, I think as we talked about uh, two weeks ago when the uh, uh, about the demons and the casting out of the demons. 
the you remember the issue about that was that the 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 guy was in the church. He was in the synagogue already. And he said one of the members that was in the synagogue had a devil. You know, we got people in your churches today that's got devils. They don't know it, but they're not serving God. If they don't have the Holy Spirit, they have an unholy spirit. You understand? You either have the Spirit of God or you don't. You're either right with God or you're not. You're either saved or you're lost. There's not a they're not a straddling of the fence. So therefore, we went out and preached to these synagogues. He cast out many dead devils. The devils were in the church. That's what he did. He cast. He said he preached in the, preached in all their synagogues through all Galilee and cast out devils. So there were devils in the church. He purified the church. You could say. Okay. Now, let's go to the next thing. The next thing is so Jesus left Capernaum. He preached throughout all Galilee and in all the regions, and he was going to their synagogues, and let's look at verse 40 through 45, and then we'll break it down. And there came a leper unto him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, and put forth his hand, and touched him, and said unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, and show thyself to the priest, and offer thy cleansing those things which Jesus was Moses' commandment, for a testimony unto them. But he went out, and began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter a city, but was without in the desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. So we'll break this down. Verse 40 says, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Now let's talk about this leprosy. Leprosy was an infectious skin disease. Now, the word that we often use for leprosy in the Bible today is really should be translated skin issue or skin disease. There's some confusion about this word leprosy in the translation because uh, leprosy, if you look at the descriptions that are given in Deuteronomy and others, that's not leprosy as we know it today. People say, is leprosy still available today? It is, but the disease that we see was not necessarily leprosy as we think of it. It was a skin disease. And you can do a research on the original translation of the word, and you can see that there was, there was a variety of things that was done. Basically, based upon the information that's given, what doctors say is what they were really looking at was something that we call today Hansen's disease. And this is, uh, you know, have different types of growths on the body and different types of skin. Any skin disorder in that day was considered what we call today leprosy, what we were calling, or the Bible called in that day when you would see, when you see the term leprosy. Leprosy was a variety of issues that were skin-related. Now, you know, we today have rashes, and we don't know how to get rid of it, and we'll go to the doctor, and the doctor say, oh, that's not a big deal. Well, you can or something like that, and heal, the, heal it, Right? But then some people have an infectious disease that gets on their skin, and then they have to be isolated. There's some disease that we don't have anything for. They'll eat the skin away, and there's nothing we can do about it. So there's some terrible skin diseases. But either way, this was a type of skin disorder. And uh, so anyway, even that, just remember when he talks about leprosy, they're talking about someone that had a severe skin disorder that was potentially contagious. Not always, 
But as far as people are concerned, they'd have the knowledge about it. They couldn't tell the difference between somebody being contagious or not. So the sin caused what they considered uncleanness, uncleanness to the one bearing the disease. So if they had any type of skin rash or disorder, they considered them leprous and they were unclean. So uh, and people in the Bible times that were considered lepers uh, uh, that suffered from the disease were treated as outcasts. They were forbidden to have any contact with people who did not have the disease. They had to ring a bell and shout unclean if anyone approached them. Now, back to our story. So we see this leper. This person had a, had a severe case of skin disorder. Whether it was contagious or not, we have to assume that it was. But, but the leper recognized that Jesus could heal him if he would. You know, many of us believe that God can do anything. But will he? The leper recognized that Jesus as having the power, but was concerned that he was not willing to cleanse him because of his unclean state, because of his sin. So the, 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 the question was not whether God had the ability to do it, but would he? Was the, was the leper worthy of, cleanse, of being cleansed? Lord, I know you can cleanse me, but, but would you clean me? You know, am I worthy to be cleansed? That's the question that the leopard is asking. You know, most sinners feel that way before they're saved, right? Yes, I know I need to be saved, but I'm too dirty. I'm too sinful. I'm too far gone. I have lost, I read, I'm reading, if you ever get a chance to read the life of Frank, uh, Benjamin Franklin, an interesting character. Uh, Benjamin Franklin was not a godly man. He was not at all. You read the letters that he wrote to his friend who was a pastor. And in the last writings that we have of Benjamin Franklin, he's writing to his pastor, to his friend who was a preacher. And he said, you know, if I had it to do over again, I would follow the trail that you had. In other words, I would follow God. I would be a Christian. He said, but now in my latter part of my life, for me to do such a thing would be hypocrisy. So he didn't do it. According, I mean, we hope that somehow or another that he changed his mind in the end. But in the end, if, if you don't serve God, then you, you're, you, know, you don't have a hope. So Benjamin Frank, as far as we know, did not make it to heaven because he chose not to accept Jesus Christ. We hope we're wrong. We hope that there was something happened before the last, since before the end of the writing when he ever actually lost his life and death. But either way, many lost sinners feel that they, that, that they, they have to get better before they can get saved. Let me tell you, Jesus saves the rotten sinner. Remember, the Bible tells us our righteousness is as filthy rags. So the very best we can do is filthy rags. So we're unworthy. All of us are unworthy to be saved. But praise God, God saves the unworthy. God saves the wretched. God saves the, the nasty, sinful people like us. Remember, Paul said, woe the man that I am. You know, Paul was a murderer and God saved him. God can save you today, folks. If you're not saved, he can save you. So, so the leopard was concerned that he, not that he could, but would he? Verse 42, 40, 41, 42. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him. Now, and saith, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. Jesus did not hesitate. You know, this unclean leopard comes in front of Jesus and the crowd, undoubtedly, many fled with fear. Oh, no, a leopard. 
And they ran from the spot. Or at least backed away from it. Oh no, what's happening? There's a leopard. Leopard. He didn't yell. Unclean, unclean, unclean. Ringing a bell. He just shows up in the middle of the crowd. It says that Jesus put forth his hand. He, Jesus moved with compassion. See, Jesus cares for us. There is no dirty estate that God cannot heal us from. He, he tells the leopard, Be thou, I will, be thou clean. Immediately, it says, the leper was cleansed. Now, this is not possible for a cure to be that fast in a skin condition. It's not that it's impossible. It's impossible for someone to be healed of a skin. I mean, to be to, to a hint that they go from, from one spot to the next instantaneously. But remember, for Jesus, impossible is where he begins his work. See, God doesn't have to work on the possible. They're available already. You know, we say, well, you know, we want to get healed, but then we don't go to the doctor. We don't use the medicines that, that God has given man the knowledge to create. We don't use the treatments that God has given man the ability to do. We choose not to do that, and we think God's going to heal us. Well, he can, but why would he? He's already provided that healing. We chose not to accept it. You know, if he gives us a vaccine to take, and we choose not to take vaccine, we get sick. God gave us the ability to be healed. We chose not to take it. Now, there's all kinds of things associated with that. But I'm simply saying, remember, God works on the impossible. The possible, he's already provided us. People say, well, you know, I need a new job, but then we don't go out and work. I need more money, but we're not willing to go out and make the effort to get the money. Why would God give you? He's not going to send you a check in the mail, folks. He may give you opportunities to work. you got to get out and work. So anyway, the leopard said, you know, is, is, is it possible? Mark thinks as soon as he had spoken, he was no time delayed at all. Immediately, the man was healed. His disease, his, son, his, his, his signs of the skin disease vanished immediately. Bam! So much that everybody could see him. People standing around saw it happen. Verse 34, 35. And he straightly charged him. And forthwith sent him away and saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way. Show thyself to the priest and offer thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony to them. But he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter insomuch that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was without in desert places. And they came to him from every quarter. See, Jesus tells the leopard to follow the laws of Moses and go to the priest so that they can officially declare him cleansed. See, because people had different types of skin diseases, some of them were not bad. They had to be locked up for a period of time. And at the end of the period of time, if the skin disease was gone, they declared them clean. Makes sense, right? So they had to go to the priest like they were supposed to do and follow the priest's requirements. And he told him, though, don't tell anybody because Jesus would be hindered from his mission by too large of a crowd, right? His mission was to go into other cities and preach and heal and demonstrate he was the Messiah. And remember, it said as his, as his practice was, he went into the synagogues and preached. But the leper didn't keep his mouth shut. Uh, the results were the crowds were so big, Jesus could no longer preach in the synagogues, but had to stay out in the desert to allow for the masses See, Jesus wanted to go to church or to the synagogue. 
He wanted to go there, but now because of his popularity, he was unable to do it. The churches couldn't contain it. Now, as a result of that, we go to our next part. Jesus draws the attention of the Pharisees and the doctors of the law. Luke, Luke, we're going to switch over to Luke right quick. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. This is following in right behind that story. And Luke says, behind the scenes, and it came to pass on a certain day, Luke 5, 17. And it came to pass on a certain day that he, being Jesus, was teaching, and there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which would come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. See, because of this leopard spreading the word, he raised the attention of these Pharisees and these doctors of the law. And they sent out people from every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem to hear Jesus and to see what he was doing, to check him out. This man's not preaching. He's not one of us. Who is he? If he's not one of us, he's against us. So he sent it out. Now, we don't know how long after the healing of the leper, but obviously the fame was spread by the leper around the attention, aroused the attention of the scribes and the, the, I mean, the Pharisees and the priests. As we said before, it appeared that they came in from everywhere in Israel to check out Jesus. Interesting note, at the end of that statement, it says, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. The them they're talking about was the Pharisees and the doctors. Well, were they sick? Well, clearly they saw Jesus heal the sick, and all those that present, they saw them heal them. But I don't think that's what it means. I think what it means is that that Jesus had the power to heal these Pharisees and these doctors of the law from their perversion of the truth. He had the ability to heal their souls. See, they heard the truth. They heard the same thing other people heard, and they had the ability to hear the truth and be saved. They had the ability to hear the truth, to be healed. See, Jesus has the power not only to change the physical body, but now we see that Jesus has the power to change man's mind from stinking thinking to righteous living, righteous learning. See, God can change your mind from a stinking thinking to righteous learning. He can heal your mind. You know, we have this thing that we entitle our, our, our ministry is called the battle is within. Because see, the battle is within us. And Jesus had the ability to heal us, to heal these people. If you got someone's got stinking thinking, remember God has the power, the power of God's word, has the ability to cure that. Now we go to the fourth part. Jesus heals the man with, with palsy. We can go back over to Mark. Mark chapter 2, beginning with verse 1 through 4. And again, he entered into Capernaum. Now remember, he's been out in Galilee. And he's been preaching in the synagogues until the leper went out. And then after the leper went out, he wasn't able to go into synagogues anymore. and had to preach in the desert places. And we know that they, the scribes and the Pharisees and all sent people out there to, to track his every word. They're kind of people today listening to some of our, the news commentators on Fox News <laughs> see if they can make a mistake so they can, uh, they can publish it out on their liberal newspapers. I'm uh, not trying to get into that, but simply saying you know, that there's people doing that today to other people too. This is what they did in Jesus' day. They followed him to listen to every word he said so that the hopes they might catch him in something that they wanted to, to accuse him of. It says, again, he entered into Capernaum 
after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightways many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them, and they came, they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when he had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. So again, we see that Jesus enters into Capernaum. Now remember, this was kind of his headquarters at the time. This is where he lived now, officially, where his home was at. And he had just healed the leper. Now, he told him not to tell anybody, but the leopard spread his fame. Mark 1.45 went on and said he went out and began to publish it and to blaze abroad the matter insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. So we know this is what happened. So it says, after some days, now we don't know how many days it was, but probably Jesus probably remained long enough in the desert to heal the sick who were brought to him, give instructions to the multitude who attended his preaching. So sometime in that period of time, after the crowd dissipated a little bit, then Jesus slips back home. Now, we don't know. He obviously slipped home in color of her night or whatever, but the crowd did not follow him, so obviously he slipped away from them and came back home. And it says it was noise that he was in the house. Whose house? Some people think it was Jesus' own house. Since this was his base of operations. Some think it was Peter's home. I think Peter's home was a different home. You know, that the story of that Peter was with his mother-in-law, healed his mother-in-law in Peter's house, that does not indicate that this happened. This was not at the same time. So it could have been anybody's house. The Bible doesn't say, and it really doesn't matter whose house it was. It matters he was in a house, and there was noises abroad that he was there. And he entered the city, no doubt, privately. But being there was soon known by everybody. Hey, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. It says, straightway, many were gathered together. Immediately, a large crowd gathered at that house. Your example would be if a celebrity came to town, people get word of it, people would flock to the house and the neighborhood would be packed full of places. It said it was insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. You couldn't squeeze in the doors, what it's saying. His popularity is so great now that the crowd was so big you could not get near the door. Uh, uh, and it, it, the door could be the court or the yard before the door. You couldn't even get in the yard, it says. They couldn't gear near enough to even hear him. And it says here, interesting, and he preached the word unto them. They didn't come for the healing. They came for the preaching of the word. Now, some probably came for the healing. But more important was he preached the word unto them. Jesus takes the opportunity to preach to the crowd. He preached the word. This is important. Too many use the pulpit to preach perceived social injustices or political points of view. That doesn't mean we can't make comments on it. What I mean is we spend our time instead of talking about the mighty power of God and talking about the mighty blood of Jesus that was shed. Yes, the gruesome, awful torture that Jesus did die on the cross for your sins. See, he had to die cruelly. He had to be he had to be tortured to death for our sins because our sin deserves torture. Our sins deserve a penalty. It's not something light. Sometimes we pray, oh, Lord, forgive us our sins, and we don't think about the penalty that was paid for that sin was torture and death 
of our Lord Jesus Christ to cover our sins. One sin. We're doing a study now in uh, uh, James, and we're talking about sin. And James says, if you're guilty of one thing, you're guilty of all of it. See, one sin, any sin you commit, you say, well, it's not that bad a deal. It cost Jesus' life. Jesus' blood was shed for that sin. God demands us to preach the word. 2 Timothy 4.2 said, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. See, we're to preach the word. Preach the word means to proclaim it. It says that they came, they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. We see four men have brought their friend who had some kind of palsy to be healed. We know there was four because they're carrying him in a bed, and there's one on each corner. So there had to be four people, right? Uh, and getting to the place where Jesus was located, it says when they were come, not when they when they could not come nigh unto him for the press. So they got to the place where Jesus was at. When they got there, they realized he wasn't there. They located where he was in the house. But the crowd was just too big for them to push themselves. Crowd carrying the sick man with a with his with his bed or his couch or whatever they were holding him up with to get him there. So what they did was they went and uncovered the roof. So we see these men identify the location in the house where Jesus was located. Now it's possible that Jesus was in an apartment or a specific room or a suite uh, within that building. This room had no chamber over it. So it was a flat roof with no chamber. Sometimes there's 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 uh, something above these houses, but in most cases it's not. The houses in the east being low generally have ground floor only or one upper story. The house also, like other houses in the country, had doubtlessly a flat roof with a battlement around it. You know, a battlement around where they could walk and not fall over the edge. So it's like had like a uh, uh, like a balcony, but built around the house. Deuteronomy twenty two eight says, "When thou buildest a new house, then thou shalt make a battlement for thy roof, that thou bring not blood upon thine house if any man fall from thence." So when they built these flat roofs, they built kind of a wall around it to keep people from stumbling off of it. So no doubt this is what it was. Now these roofs also typically had some kind of a trap door. Uh, by which persons within could come out upon it to walk and take their air or perform their devotions. So they had the ability to walk upstairs and go outside and had kind of a trap door. Acts 10, 9 says, On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew a nine to the city, Peter went up upon the rooftop to pray about the sixth hour. So here's an example that he went up on the rooftop, that a lot of the roofs had these trap doors that they could go up there. Now when this door is shut, even with the roof, made a part of it was probably well fastened to secure the house against thieves. It was probably also well sealed so that rain didn't get in it when it rained on it. Did it leak? Probably. These were little mud houses or clay houses or whatever. They probably had some way of preventing it from leaking, but they probably had a few leaks along the way. I mean, it's not perfect. It says that when they had broken it up, now the bearers of the man with palsy, even with the roof, made a part of it and probably well fastened to secure the house against thieves. It says when when the 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 bearer of the man with palsy, being prevented from bringing him in at the door of the crowd, hauled him up by some other stairs to the roof. Now, 
Sometimes these places had stairways on the outside as well as the inside. So it's possible that these men walked up the stairs to the roof. When they got to the roof, they found the trap door and they were not able to open the door because it was locked. So they broke it up to get in it. And it says, because and it says they let down the bed wherein the sick man palsy. To let down the sick man in his couch, they had to make the entrance bigger. It's only a little hole for people to get in and up at. They don't want a big giant hole because again, water leak would be a problem, right? So they they had to uh they 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 had to make the hole bigger. They couldn't get the guys down. So they said they let down the bed with the sick of the body, they broke it up. They did this by moving the trap door frame or some of the tiles adjoining it. Once they had broken or pulled it up as much as the frame or adjoining tile was necessary, they let down the couch. Now, each man held the corner by corner and uh, uh, rose by fastening it to the corner. They lowered him down so that Jesus would see him while they were preaching. So here's Jesus preaching and the crowd's preaching and here comes this bed through the roof. A door opens up. Lights out there, you know, during the daytime, and they see a bright opening, and people looking up, and Jesus is preaching, and here comes his bed with his man lying on it. Verses 5, 10a. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sin be forgiven thee. So when Jesus saw their faith, James 2, 18 says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. See, these men showed, demonstrated their faith. They, Jesus saw their faith. They had faith in Jesus. They put their faith into action. There's a whole sermon you can do on these four men and what they were doing. This was not a baseless faith, but one that took action. They believed that they could get Jesus, get him to Jesus, Jesus could heal him. And Jesus saw the faith of these men in the ability, Jesus' ability to heal. Jesus saw the faith of this man so that he could be healed. So he saw not only the man, he saw the faith of these men, and he saw the faith of this man with palsy that he could be healed. In our church, you know, we have prayer sometimes. We anoint people for other people. The anointing of oil doesn't do anything except a symbol. It's a symbol of faith. This person has faith that God can heal. Therefore, they're praying. They're asking for special prayer for that person and bring together the elders of the church and the deacons and the pastors and the preachers and anybody else that believes in the word of prayer. And they get together and they lay hands on this individual for that person who's not in their presence. You know, is that necessarily scriptural? Well, laying hands on the sick is. Laying hands on somebody else for it is not necessarily. But there's nothing wrong with it. Because it's demonstrating faith. It's just like these men demonstrated faith. Jesus saw the faith of these men for their actions. Jesus can see the faith of us through that action that we do in our churches. Anyway, Jesus sees our real needs. Not just some type of superficial needs. The man, no doubt, felt unworthy to even be in the presence of this great man. Uh, no doubt, the man had to be forgiven of his sins before he felt comfortable asking for healing. That's the first thing we need to do. Before we ask God for something, don't we pray, Lord, forgive me for my sins. I often do that. When I'm praying, I'll say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Before I even ask you for something else, how am I able to ask God for something if i got sins standing in my life? So I always typically try to ask, when I'm doing personal prayers, I ask God to forgive me for my sins. Get that out of the way. Because until I have my sins forgiven, how dare I stand before God and ask Him for something else when I am in need of prayer myself? So this man had a, he, he, now he might have been suffering from sinfulness because of his, he might be suffering this palsy because of something he did in his sin, sinful excess. We don't know. Anyway, 
The consciousness of sin was such that it was necessary to speak to his soul before Jesus could heal him. Now remember, you have the scribes and Pharisees there, and it says, but there were certain of the scribes sitting there. Because remember, they've been sitting monitoring his word, everything he said. Now it appeared that Jesus, while he was away, when he came back to Capernaum, suddenly these scribes and Pharisees, these lawyers, had arrived to continue gathering information to, to find some way to have Jesus charged and kill him. John chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought to sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making him equal with God. See, they were watching all that he did. It says, and reasoning in their hearts. See, so remember, but there was certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. See, these men had a heart problem. The battle was within them. They allowed their personal views of right and wrong to override the facts that they saw with their heads. They could see that Jesus performed miracles. What they saw did not make sense with their view of God. They did not say anything, but only thought it. They did not say it. They reasoned in their hearts. And what they reasoned was, does this man speak blasphemies? Does this man, is this man not speaking blasphemies? They thought it. And since Jesus' message did not match their religion, they took this stand that this must be blasphemous. Since it's not what I think of God, it's not what I think is right with God. But see, they weren't trusting the word of God. The act of insulting or showing contempt or lack of reverence of God is what they were doing. They believed that they were that 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 Jesus was somehow or another showing contempt for God, and and that in their minds they said, "Who can forgive sin but God only?" <coughs> now this is a valid statement. See, only God can forgive sins, absolutely. And since Jesus is God, this statement is true and justifies Jesus, even when these men did not understand that what they were saying about Jesus was right. Who can forgive sin but God only? No one can. He's right. No one can, but Jesus is God. So Jesus can. See, the claim to forgive sin implies distinct equality with God regarding one of his most incommutable attributes. See, it says immediately, Jesus, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned with themselves, so when the scribes and Pharisees didn't say anything outwardly, Jesus, knowing their heart desired, knew their thoughts, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your heart? Now, they hadn't said anything, but he knew what they were thinking. His soul was human, but his spirit was divine. By this divine faculties, he penetrated and then revealed to them the thoughts and counsel of their hearts. Hebrews 4, 12, 13 says, Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and is the discerner of the thought and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifested in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Listen, God knows your thoughts. He knows your thoughts. He knows your desires. Other people may only see your outward actions, but God knows your thoughts. I always say this. He sees you when you're naked. Anyway, he says, whether it is easier, he's talking to the scribes, now the, the Pharisees, whether it's easy to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise, take up thy bed and walk. Jesus simply asked these scribes and Pharisees, whether it, is it easier to say to forgive them of sin or to heal them of the sick? Which is easier, to give them from sin or heal them from sick? What's well, the rhetorical question. You know, Jesus said he meant to keep their thought going. 
See, only God can heal, and only God can forgive sins. Therefore, healing and forgiving is still the same power, power for hands, right? God, only God can heal, and only God can forgive sins. God is the one that's doing it. So if God has the ability, if this person has the ability to heal, he has the ability to forgive sin. Why? Because God is the one there. Jesus goes on and said, but that ye may know. Because you cannot see the act of forgiveness of sin. Since you can't see the act of forgiving sins, then I'm going to show you the power to forgive sins by showing you my the ability to heal, which you can see. So since you can't see someone being forgiven of sin, but you can see somebody being healed of sickness, I'm doing that to demonstrate to you my power. Because if I have the power to heal, I have the power to forgive sins. He says, uh, uh, that ye may know that the Son of Man, now this is the first time this phrase is used, uh, first time this title is used in Mark, and Mark uses it's used in Mark 14 times, and the, the writers of the Gospels never apply this to Jesus, never. When it occurs, it's used by the Lord and no other. Jesus uses it. No one else uses it. Son of Man. The title, this is the title that Jesus preferred to call himself over any other. He's a Son of Man. A Son of Man he was not. Son, sorry. A Son of a Man he was not. But Son of Man he was. See, the original word used for man implies human being. He is a son of humans. He's, he's, he's part of the human clan. He's not a son of a man, but he's human. He's part of humanity. He's, he's one of the descendants, one of the heirs of humanity. He's the second Adam. He's the second head of our race. He's the crown of our humanity. He says, he, and then he goes on and says that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sin. Because Jesus is the Son of Man and the Son of God, He's been given power. And we see this power is the power to heal. But clearly, Jesus states that God has given Him the power to forgive sins while He's here on earth. So while Jesus is here, He has the ability not only to heal people, but to forgive them of sin. We see that often, that Jesus forgives their sins. Now, last part of our reading today. Mark 2, 10 through 12, latter part 10. And Prithi says, he said to the sick of the palsy. So now he's going to turn back to the sick of the palsy. He said, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy bed and go thy way to thine house. So now Jesus turns back to the newly cleaned Christian because he just gave forgiveness of his sins. So now this man of palsy is a saved Christian. He's a Christian now. And he says, your sins have been forgiven you. That's what makes you a Christian, right? Jesus tells him to get up from his mat, take his bed, go home. And the man that this man had all he needed, both spiritually and physically. He was healed both spiritually and physically at the same time. It says that immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all. So we see this scene after Jesus spoke. The man got up. Now think about that. He had to have been weak. He hadn't walked in a while. His legs probably didn't work well. But Jesus not only restored this man to health, he gave him power in his legs, he immediately gave him strength so that he could stand up. You know, we have somebody that has an injury, they have to go through months of rehabilitation. Not this person. He got up and says immediately and walked. Not only did he walk, he took his bed, showing strength, and he walked away from everyone there. 
insomuch it says, and then the, the Bible goes on, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying we never saw it in this fashion. See, the results of this was that everyone was amazed. The crowd, yes, and even the scribes and the Pharisees. Everyone glorified God. They recognized Jesus came, Jesus' power came from God. Everyone there recognized. It says everyone. They were all amazed and glorified God. They left with a witness. They said, we have never seen it this way before. They said, this is a miracle. This is amazing. We've never seen anything like this, what they said. Now, in conclusion, Jesus has now shown that not only can he will, can he heal the sick and cast out demons and preach the word, but now he can forgive sins. So see, we're going through this characteristic. We see things about Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's someone who can heal the sick. He's someone who can cast out demons. He's someone that can preach the word of God. But he's also someone who can forgive sin. This is who Jesus is. And since God, only God can forgive sins, then Jesus is God. See, we've taken you through these steps so far in the life of Jesus, and we see that Jesus is God. Now join us next week, and we'll see how Jesus calls Matthew, a hated tax collector, to be one of his disciples. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity we have that we can worship you. I thank you, Lord, that you've showed us who you are. You showed us, Lord, not only are you a healer and a demon cleanser and a, and a preacher of the word, but, Lord, that you're our Savior. You're the one who can forgive us for our sins. I pray right now you forgive me for my sins. Lord, your precious blood that died on the cross, your cruel torture that you went through because of my little sins, every single sin I did was paid for by your blood. I pray for these people listening today that they're not right with you. Today be the day to ask forgiveness and come to know you as their personal Savior. For so in the mighty name of Jesus we pray, amen. I thank you today for your time and your attention, and I, uh, I, I pray that um, you will go forth and share the word of God for Jesus is worthy. Be ye a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Until next time, God bless you.